Hey, everybody. This is Ashley Adamson. There is a pretty famous quote that you may have heard, but recently my sister said it to me while we were on the phone, and it just, for whatever reason, stopped me in my tracks. I actually took out a piece of paper and wrote it down, and it's been sitting here on my desk ever since. And that quote is, they say you die twice, once when you take your final breath, and a second time, a bit later on, when somebody says your name for the very last time. And obviously the message behind that is that in order to keep the people that we've lost alive, we need to say their names and share their stories. It's the best way to honor the people that we desperately miss. So that's exactly what we are doing on the show today. And today's date is January 23rd, 2024. May not mean anything significant to you, but for one family, it's an incredibly significant and difficult date. It's the six-year anniversary of when a young amazing 24-year-old woman named Ella Thomas died by suicide. Lisa McCaffrey, my co-host, she knew Ella well. She was the older sister of one of Christian's best friends, Solomon Thomas. Christian and Solomon played football together at Stanford, and their families have been tight ever since their first recruiting visit. Uh, We had Ella and Solomon's mom, Martha, on the show last year. It's a conversation that I still find myself thinking about over, what, a year and a half later. So I wanted to repost some of that interview today, one, because it was so powerful, but more than that, it's, it's just a very small way for us to help keep Ella's name and memory alive. So even if you listened to this episode last season, I encourage you to listen to it again. I know you'll find new meaning in some of Martha's words and wisdom. Uh, I certainly have every time I listen to it. Plenty of laughter, plenty of tears. This conversation ran the gamut. And lastly, I'll just say this to the Thomas family. Thank you deeply for the work you are doing around mental health and suicide prevention to help keep other families from going through what you all have been through. And please know that you and your sweet Ella are always, always in our hearts. I am so happy you're here um, doing this with us. So thank you. I'm so happy to be here and uh, wondering how this conversation is going to go, knowing Lisa the way I do. (laughs) Um, But we've had a lot of fun together. We actually, I mean, it was a recruiting trip. And then when I brought Solomon out to Colorado to ski, we came and stayed with you. I want to hear, Martha, your recollection of meeting Lisa for the first time. Um, Well, well, I know we, I remember that recruiting visit, they, Christian wasn't in yet. So I remember the whole recruiting visit, like loving every minute of it, but he had not gotten in yet. We were like one of the last ones to be let known that we were getting in. So it was, I remember that whole like drama just being completely we, the whole time. Do you remember we start, that? Yeah, we started screaming at yeah, a restaurant right, in, right, in the Palo Alto. Yeah. Like we stopped the whole restaurant. It was we're a so nice classy, restaurant too. Classy people. <laughs> yeah, those were, those were wild days. Yeah. And that were. was when, so that was when you found out that Christian got in or did you get and Solomon. You Solomon? And Solomon. The same at the same time. Yeah. yeah. And it was like one of the last nights too. Martha, <laughs> I've got to ask you too, because I think that's a moment and, and obviously Ed and Lisa both went to Stanford, are very familiar with it. But for, for you as a mom, like, what was that like for you watching that journey from him as just a little boy to being able to have that moment where he got accepted to Stanford? I, I think, I think we cried. I mean, I, I think we, We all cried. I mean, and, you know, Ed and Lisa, because this is what they wanted for Christian and they knew how great it could be. And us, because it, I mean, it was a dream come true for, for Solomon. And he had, 
you know, Stanford doesn't play with their recruiting process. They don't play with admissions. Um, so there were other colleges where Solomon got accepted without ever filling out a, paper, a piece of paper. Wow. Um, and, and so that was, that was like, and, and at Stanford, you want your kid to get the best education possible. And it wasn't just like you get on that campus and you realize it's not just one dimensional. It is so creative and there's so many different opportunities. And, you, you know, as a, a kid going into college for sports, that was not where I wanted him. You know, like that wasn't kind of what I envisioned as a as my kids going to college was to go for sports. But I mean, that, it was the best of every possible world. I'd love to hear kind of your when, when Solomon and Christian became friends and it just what, what was your impression of, of Christian when you guys first connected? So probably my best memory of Christian was really at their home when we stayed with them when they were seniors in high school. So uh, it was Christian and his brothers, you know, like it was that all four of them were, were there together and they just like wrapped Solomon up. It's like he instantly became a brother, you know, and, and they were so warm. Um, and competitive. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so we have to tell the bath story, Martha. Like when Max was at Duke, um, he would love to come over and take a bath because they didn't have a bath in their dorm rooms. I mean, dorm rooms are kind of disgusting. They have these showers, communal showers, and they're gross. So I was like, Max used to love to come to the Washington Duke and just take a bath. That was it. And I'm like, oh. so I offered that to Martha. I go, hey, if I'm ever out to Stanford and Solomon wants to take a bath, he's welcome to come to my, my hotel room. And then after I said it, I'm like, that is probably the most appropriate <laughs> thing that's ever come I out think, of my mouth. And yeah, I think I like went, you, like looked at me. Like, Wait, what did you just say? And you said it again. Like, he can come take a bath. At, you know, I will here. leave the room and he could just have the room. I'll go shopping. I promise I'm not going to be in the room. But it just they work so hard and they're just so tired. And I just have good bath. I don't know. Just I know Christian loves and to do it. Anyway, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it was just so bad. I was trying to be helpful, I promise. I remember telling Chris, hey, Lisa says you can go to her hotel room and take a bath. And he went, Mom, that's really weird. <laughs> I said, hey. Solomon Thomas, the most bathable person in the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> my goodness but oh, just so guys. that we can like set the record straight no baths were taken there was not one i did no not baths. give okay. solomon thomas a bath for the okay. record okay let's get I just want to make there, sure that we get that very not good. saying i didn't want to but <laughs> i'm kidding That's can so we good. talk about though the fact that like solomon is and when i i remember first when i first met him and callie who's part of the stanford football program who we absolutely love um yeah. she said it perfectly too she was like solly is the kind of guy that He's this, like when you're around him, you just want to hug him. Like he's yes. this teddy bear who is the most mm -hmm. thoughtful, polite, sweet. He was like this teddy bear off the field. And then you'd see him on the field. And it was like some switch had just been flipped. Yes. I mean, it is like, it truly is like a switch has been flipped. I don't know that person that plays on the football field. <laughs> like I don't really, he, that's not my son, you know, like it is this person that's been inhabited <laughs> like what taken over i a hundred percent i agree with that that assessment of him he is he's you just you want to give him a hug and he's like you said just so considerate and so polite and just like a big teddy bear it's exactly what he is and then on the field it's oh my gosh he's ferocious he's like a hippo you know like a strong 
stout hippo, but like fast too. You're like, wait, he's weighs what? And he's like a bathable hippo. A bathable hippo. (laughs) They like hippos like their baths. They They like their water. They do. I thought I read somewhere that he was born premature. He was only three pounds when he was born. Is that? He was four. He was was born seven weeks premature. Um, So our daughter, Ella, was born nine weeks premature and was three pounds. So, um, yeah, we don't know what he'd look like if he'd been full term. (laughs) (laughs) I think I might have been really lucky. So he was pretty healthy, only stayed in the hospital a few weeks and came home and was small for a few years. Uh, But then like, like caught up and never stopped. Yeah. Yeah. And then how old were you? You guys went, uh, moved to Australia. How old were the kids? Ella was four and Solomon was two. Okay. And how many years were you guys there? Five years. Wow. And what brought you to Australia? It was my husband's job, Chris's job. Um, And it was a great time. And we we actually tried to stay, um, but weren't going to be able to stay with the company he was with. So we were going to have to change. And my dad got sick and Chris's mom was sick. And so it, just seemed like it was time to come home. Yeah. But I do imagine that family bond. And I actually, my, my husband is named Chris as well. And I talk to him a mm-hmm. lot about, and he knows this, I, I'm dying to go move abroad. I just, yeah. I really think it's for the family unit. If you can do it and it can work with careers and all the things, like it's such a special, unique experience. And I mean, how, how do you think that changed your family unit? Just even from having those four years when they were young? Oh, yeah. It was, it was wonderful. I mean, it, we didn't have a lot of other distraction. I mean, we made great friends, the kids got involved in things, we got involved in things. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't kind of, oh, you're supposed to be doing this because your kids, you know, they're and Australia has this kind of really outdoor, you know, culture. So, you know, the kids would go to preschool or whatever. And we'd go down to the beach after after school and just hang out and eat fish and chips. And it was great. Like it was, it was a wonderful time. We camped all over Australia. Um, We traveled in Southeast Asia, traveled in New Zealand several times. Um, You know, just all of that is good. But the camping was my favorite stuff. Martha, I read a a quote from one of the articles um, where you were quoted that is just like totally stuck in my brain. And it, it said that you're one of your proudest feats as a mom was your kids close relationship so Mm -hmm. ella and solomon's relationship can you describe their relationship and and what was it that made them so tight (laughs) um part of it was going you know our time in australia um and they shared a room a bedroom the whole time we were there it was like they had their own language you know how they say twins have their own language it was almost like they had their own language and they could get going and we always sat down for dinner together, the four of us. Um, and the two of them could start talking and like, it was like Chris and I didn't even exist, <laughs> you know? Like, And then they had some years in middle school where it was not great. And then it was amazing again. Yeah. So I wanna hear about, about Ella and Lisa mentioned just what an amazing, woman she was what uh, describe describe Ella to me what who was she do you have like some favorite memories of 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 what she brought to your life uh well one one word to describe her which you know I think Lisa would agree with is she was feisty you know (laughs) you just uh, that's I remember the elevator 
before the Rose Bowl. We get in the elevator. I think you were there and Ella was there. It might have just been Sheena. I don't know. And it was full of Iowa fans as everywhere in Southern California was during that time. And she just like lit up. She rose to the occasion. She was like, we're going to beat you guys today. And she was in Stanford clothes and we were there. And I'm like, oh gosh, are we going to get in a fight here? And she's like, we're going to be, and they were funny. They rolled with it. They were awesome. Cause oh, she just had this ever effervescent personality and she could get away with stuff like that. And just everyone laughed. I, I, oh, I, I, I love her. So her personality just, to, you know, it's just amazing. You unforgettable, unforgettable. You knew when Ella entered a room. And you did. You absolutely did and loved it and you were yeah. better for it. Yeah, I used to just love to sit back and watch her in a room. Like she would make friends with everyone. She was kind to people. Um, you know, she she later on became a server, but she would uh and a bartender. Um but, you know, if she was in a restaurant or a bar, she'd be super nice to the, you know, whoever was helping out, whoever was there, make friends. You know, all of a sudden, Ella's got all these people's phone numbers and she's taking, you know, oh, I'm going out with so-and-so, you know, like, who are they? You know? Magnetic, just yes. a, a magnetic person, yeah. but also feisty. That's a, an amazing combination. How would you, I guess, describe her mental health journey? Was there, were there signs early on that, that, did you know that something wasn't quite right? Um, you know, she was like off the charts, ADHD. Um, and, but also did well enough in school, um, didn't cause problems. So through school, it was hard to get her help. Um, you know, and, and we tried a lot of different strategies with her. Um, so I think that that was that, as school progressed in the upper grades, it got more frustrating for her because it was just hard. Yeah. It's hard to sit still. It's hard to get all your homework done. Um, so that I think maybe caused some depression. You know, now that we look back at it, it's like, where did, where did things happen? Like, how did they happen um, the way they did? And then I'm going off to the university of Arkansas, like for Ella, the transition from having us as parents, you know, and kind of watching over her to having the freedom at college was way too much. So how did she do at Arkansas? How was, what did you, when you visit her, did you, could you tell that things weren't going well or did she, did she talk to you guys about kind of her struggles there? Um, some, yeah, we, we knew some of it. Uh, you know, I went up with her a few times, tried to get her some extra help because she was eligible for it with her diagnosis of ADHD, but she just, wasn't really following up on stuff and wasn't her social life <laughs> was super important. And then at uh, some point um, early on in her sophomore year, she was doing a lot better. Things seemed to be going well. Her grades had vastly improved. And then all of a sudden she stopped going to class and stopped doing anything. And that was when uh, we found out later that she had been gang raped at a fraternity party. So, and that just switched everything for her. How did she tell you that? Did she tell you? Yeah, she did tell us. And she told Chris and I together one night, some, one of her friends here had really encouraged her to tell us. She had told them. And it, it was like, Chris assumed that I'd known. I didn't, had no idea. Um, and really just got her, like it, it just, it made sense. Like right. it made sense because something. Why, right. Something happens. triggered her grades dropping and every, yeah. 
Yeah, and just not caring. Just mm-hmm. you know, she just didn't care. So Martha, what do you do as a as a mom when you're I mean, that's one of the worst things that if your daughter comes in and sits down and tells you that, I don't what what did you do in that moment? How did you handle it? Uh held her. Yeah. You know, we just held her. Um we literally piled on her. Um so you know, and then she was still up in Arkansas. Like, so she was going back. Uh, she was going to try to get help, uh, you know, her, herself together and get finished out the semester in school. And I went up and I, uh, she didn't want to go to the university counseling center. So um, I set up an appointment for her and went, actually went with her. Um, I don't, I don't know, like, it's really hard once your kid turns 18, you know, and especially if they're not, if it's not attached to the university, they can't tell you anything. It's a a little easier now, but for a while, it was almost impossible. I will say, you know, Ella, I don't think ever wanted to disappoint us. Right. You know, and so we were the last person, people that knew about some of the things going on in her life. Or or after that semester, did she come home and stay home then? No, she stayed up in Arkansas for a while. She got a job as a bartender, was paying all of her own bills, was making a lot of money, seemed okay. Um, But then she wasn't. And so uh, we asked her to come home. Um, So she started, she still had an apartment up like through July uh, of 2017, in Arkansas. So she had full time been home, you know, six months before she died. Would you share how you found out that she died? What? I don't even know how to ask that question. And I don't, I can't imagine like the pain and the grief and revisiting it. So if you don't want to revisit it, I totally understand. But no, she didn't go to work. Like she didn't show up at work. And, um, you know, she'd shared her location Um, with me and didn't always but had been lately you know so she was sorry were you worried about her at this time yes yes. yeah and we we had you told me the night before you were with her and you guys were lying in your bed and you were trying to encourage her to stay home with you you're like stay home we'll just watch a movie and she's like well I have work and she's like I got to go to work so I'm going to go over to my friend's house where I'm closer to work and spend the night there yeah, right. she, she had her work clothes there. So she yeah. was going to have to go get them anyways. Yeah, I did. I mean, and we had had a lovely evening together. Um, she always mm-hmm. used to take my phone and take selfies um, <laughs> on her phone. And so she was taking selfies of, she had my phone in her hand. I have all these photos of her and the dog, her <laughs> dog, Mickey, um, that she brought home with her that is still with us. You know, she just, she didn't, didn't go into work and, I kept trying to call her and reach her and called, finally called her friend who I'd only met one time. And um, he said, yeah, you should get over here. I'm like, I don't know where you are. Like, I don't know where you are. So um, yeah. So I just, I, I went and um, there were police there already. Mm. Did you know right away when you saw well, the police were there? Well, I asked, um, I kept asking, you know, well, can I go see my daughter? No, 
it's criminal investigation. And I said, yeah, but it's my daughter. Can I go see her? And they wouldn't let me go see her. So then very quickly it changed to is, is what's wrong? Like, is she not alive? Is she, well, no, you need, you need to sit down. You know, you need to sit. It was, it was awful. And where was Chris? Where was Chris? Chris was New York. New York. Yeah. See, I, I mean, I'm I will sure tell you that there are points of this that I know it's like a movie yeah. details and points that I have no memory of at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so Chris, uh, my principal had gone with me and Chris, uh, he called Chris. I didn't even know I hadn't called him. And then Chris called Solomon. And Solomon was actually in town then. That's right. Well, oh. And I, I'm just you dealing with that, like the most horrific grief and loss that any human can experience. And in the midst of that, you're thinking about Ella and yourself and Chris, but how much did you worry about Solomon? I mean, he had just finished his rookie season, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was, um, I was really worried about him because he, they were so close. They were best friends. You know, they were, they were ride or die. Remember? They yes. <laughs> and you felt uh, that when you were around them, like you yeah. said, they finished each other's sentences. They, they would, they, there was a bond there like no other, like you just, they loved each other. Like you said that about my boys, how they, you know, were like a unit. They, they loved each other. Everybody knew Ella. All the Stanford guys knew Ella. They loved Ella. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I worried immensely about him and he went out, but, you know, back to, to the team and the season and it wasn't great. You know, like I could, tell and I kept asking him you know Solomon you got to get some help you got to get some help and you know at some point in time he had sat down with one of the therapists at the Niners and another player came and got him and said yo man you can't sit with her and he's like why everyone will think you're weak you got to stay away stay away from them wow Wow. you know and that um and then I eventually went to um the people at player personnel i can't we were talking to him about something else and i said you got to get my son some help because he wouldn't listen to me he'd be like mom you get some help you go you know like sassy kids do (laughs) (laughs) it was evident when he started getting help it was night and day difference you know because you spiral right you spiral with the guilt you spiral with the confusion um suicide is you know, even four and a half years ago was a whole different ball game kind of than it is now. So, you know, our, our dog Max died a month after Ella. Mm. People knew more what to say to us when Max died than they did when Ella died. It's not that people didn't love us. People loved us, of course. They were super supportive, but they didn't know. Most people didn't know what to say. Wow. Martha, what would you say to people? Because I think that is so real, what you just described, is that people often when somebody goes through something that is as tragic as that, they don't know what to say. And so oftentimes they don't say anything at all, which right. is, which is worse. So what, what is the right for, for someone who wants to be supportive and be helpful and for pe- for what you were going through? Like, I'm sure everybody is different, but what did you need at that time? What was helpful? What, what would you say to people who want to support and don't know what to say? Um, say something, 
say you don't know what to say. Yeah. I'm here for you. I don't know what to say, but my ears are open. Um, my heart's here for you. You know, like I just, like I don't, you know, like this Stanford group, our, our, I don't know how many came to Ella's service, Lisa. I don't, I mean, I it was all of them. It was incredible. I, I've said this before, but I, I drew, I'm a, not an artist at all, but I drew a post-it note on my desk at work. And it was Chris Solomon and I together with hearts all around us, supporting us. Um, because for a while I went really dark, really, really dark. And it wasn't, you know, I was bitter, I was mad, I was everything. And then something shifted. And I don't really know what, um, what shifted, but it changed. And I started recognizing, you know, like I felt like people, all this love was holding us up, like, you know, just holding us up so we could stand and maybe walk, learn how to walk a little bit again. And that was, that was, um, that was really po a powerful image to keep in my head. Do you still have that post-it note? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I will never show it to anyone. <laughs> I mean, I can't even draw a heart symmetrical. So. <laughs> Wow. When did you wow. start to feel pockets of joy again? Because you talk about the shift, but what? Because I'm, I'm sure for a very long time, you feel like you are never going to experience the feeling of peace and joy ever again when you've, when you've gone through that loss. So what, was there a moment that you? Yeah, I guess. First of all, uh, we did this overnight walk with the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention in June after Ella died and it was powerful just to be able to move with other people who weren't sitting in judgment of you, you know, weren't saying, well, you know, your daughter didn't go to heaven, you know, like oh God. <laughs> say that. Have oh yeah. People said that. <laughs> oh God. How, how do you feel? I mean, that your daughter didn't go to heaven. Oh. Yeah. So, um, but, but that walk was super important and it was, uh, gosh, I don't know. It was actually here in Dallas. I don't know how many hundreds of people were in it. Um, and then the next year was in the Bay area and the Niners came out and did it with us. John Lynch did it with us. Uh, Tina Turner and his wife, you know, like there were, I don't know, like 40 of us. It was, it was really cool. Um, a couple players, Solomon, of course, um, you know, just to be able to walk with your grief, like you learn how to walk. And then all of a sudden there, there are pockets of joy. But one of the things that I, I miss the most about Ella and I miss not remembering it for a while was how damn funny she was. I mean, she was so funny like she could make you laugh yeah. and it was it just went on and on and on and she just I missed like remembering that and so I think like just starting to be able to remember her joy you know because she had a lot of joy she, yes she had a lot of sadness and she had a lot of pain but she had great joy as well and we all do right like 
course. You know, the more we feel, the more we can find this great joy too. And you don't have it all the time. Right. No one does. No one no. does. You mentioned something, Martha, that, that kind of the difference of what we know about suicide or even just the stigma around mental health is different than it was four and a half years ago. What What is the biggest thing that you think has shifted or what, what do you know about suicide now that you didn't know before you guys went, went through what you've been through? Yeah. Uh, one thing is uh, asking. You know, it it does not trigger someone to ask them if they're thinking of suicide. And, um, you know, we, we do these suicide prevention workshops and that's one of the things we, we have people do is practice saying out loud, are you thinking of suicide? Cause I had to go into and sit in front of a mirror to be able to say it, you know, after learning that that was so important and it can actually provide relief and a release of that, suicidal feeling um to be able to say it out loud for someone and that's and it's not just are you okay it's you you it's the words are are you is it are you are you thinking of harming yourself are you thinking of suicide yes yeah and then if they do say yes taking that even further do you have a plan so you know and then not leaving that person alone and if they do have if they are thinking of hurting themselves or, or killing themselves, then making sure if you're the person in the home with them, making sure that if you have guns, that they're locked up, if you have, you know, lots of medicine, that it's locked away, whatever might be used, you remove the means. And those are like the kind of immediate things to do. Well, how do you talk about this type of stuff with your kids when seemingly everything maybe is okay? You know, yeah. is there an entry point or what, what is the, you know, what advice would you have knowing what you know now for parents who may be listening to this and say, well, my, my kid's pretty happy. They go through some of the regular, you know, sadness and upswings and downswings, but what's your advice on being able to talk about it? First of all, I mean, that is a lot of the risk factors. AFSP has a graphic that um, has different risk factors, but the one thing that, you know, a lot of those risk factors can look like other teenage behavior or other, you know, manifest as other behavior. So you don't know if you don't ask, you know, how are your mentals? You know, like just make normalizing that, you know, it's, you would talk to them. You would take them to the doctor. If they broke their leg, you would ask them how their leg was feeling. You would take them to physical therapy. Why? Like, I mean, growing up is just hard. Being a teenager is hard. Being in college is hard. Um, those transitions from finishing school to going out into the workplace are incredibly stressful, especially at a place like Stanford. But not being afraid to ask about, you know, your mental how is your whole health, right? Like, because if, if being in the NFL, the pressure yeah. those guys have everything. Right. Are you kidding me? That right. with you know, if there's family issues, that I mean, that's right. That's what I I said to Solomon. I said, if you don't have a mental health problem going into into the NFL, you're going to have one going out. Time, yeah. You know, it's just it's too much, and fans are crazy, and yeah. you know, anyway. But yeah, and it's just it's good to talk to somebody about all these things. It, it yeah. just 
get it out there and, and, and talk about it and be open about it. And it helps. It helps because everybody has issues. I don't care if it looks on paper, you're the perfect family. They're, I swear, grow, watching my kids grow up and the kid, the families that would act like they're so perfect and they have everything together, like behind the scenes were the most dysfunctional families. And, yeah. um, you know, I don't know why, but they don't, they wouldn't talk about it. I don't know if it's pride or what. And I just, I, I, now they're, now I see it as they're older and there's so many more issues. They have a couple, so many more issues on top top of yeah. everything. And it's kind of sad to um, watch that. Whereas I feel What's like this? they could have nipped it in the butt early on if they had been open and talked about stuff because everybody's got crap. Yeah. I think it's the stigma is what you're, what yeah. you're kind of alluding mm -hmm. to, Lisa. And I, I, you know, for Solomon, I, and, and for you, Martha, I imagine it's, it is exhausting and painful to revisit the story about Ella and to open up and share about it. And you guys have now dedicated, I mean, you retired from teaching so that you could be full-time with the defensive line, which is your yeah. nonprofit that you guys yeah. created as a family. So how have you managed to envelop yourself in this work? Because it's every day you're, you're working around the thing that has caused you the most pain in your life. Yeah. Um, one, it's not wanting anyone else to go through what we've gone through. But um, two, feeling like if it was more normalized to talk about it, it wouldn't have had to have been so hard for Ella to talk to us or hard for, I mean, you know, she was the day, week she died, she had an appointment with her therapist on Thursday, you know, like, so what, what is it that we can normalize and make easier for people? Um, you know, and one of the things that we say we want to do so we mostly talk to teachers and coaches um, of leader leaders of young people you know so that they can be on the same page as the kids because the kids are getting the language whether it's accurate or not is up for question they watch their tiktok videos and whatever else there's tons of mental health stuff out there but it's not always good and so but teachers a lot of times don't know you know we I, in my district, we actually were required to do suicide prevention training, um, which wasn't a lot, but it was more than most, most places. So, you know, what is it that we could do to kind of get people to know where the resources are? So there's lots of wonderful resources out there. We don't want to create new resources. We want to get people to know where the resources are. Yeah, I was um, on a campus somewhat recently and there was a football player who we were talking to ahead of a game and he opened up uh, about his mental health struggle and he has hereditary mental mm. health issues. And it was this unbelievable moment in the room where he's talking to like five or six adult strangers and you can sort of see, he's verbalizing I think for one of the first times to people and he says, you know, no one in the locker room knows um, and that's on me. But he said the thing, one of the things that has helped him so much is seeing other people come out and share their story, mm -hmm. which is why he talked about wanting to go eventually share his story when the time was right. But he said that that has been the thing that I, I'm like, you feel so alone. Mm -hmm. he said, you, you can't uh, you can't describe like how emotionally numb and alone you feel when you are in these dark places. And so I just want to say the work that you are doing. Um, it is it is for Ella. And I, I imagine I imagine you feel her with you still to this day? Did she show up in different, in different ways? Absolutely. A lot of days I feel around my shoulder. I just feel her going, come on, mom, let's go. You can, you can do this. Uh -huh. People you need this. it. You can do this. 
just tell people if they want to support or find out about the defensive line, where can you, where can you send them? Where can they find out more? Um, on our social media, uh, but we have a website, thedefensiveline.org for young people under the age of 24, enough people die by suicide every week that it is two thirds the size of a Boeing 737 filled going down once a week. And right. if, if that was happening, all air traffic would be stopped. Right. Every thing would be stopped and all the planes would be grounded until they figured it out. So, you know, we all can play a part in this yes. and yes. make it better. If you or anyone you know is in crisis or need to talk to someone, all you have to do is text the word HOME to 741-741, and someone will be available to talk or text with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And please do check out the amazing work that Martha and her family are doing. You can find out more at thedefensiveline.org. We'll put the link in our show notes. Um, And until next week, sending love and light to all. Our thanks to Martha again for opening up and sharing Ella's story with us. We so appreciate it. And thanks to you for listening and being here. We'll see you next week. 